Blog Talk Radio. Oh my gosh, folks, it is Troy Dooley here with Real Mentors Radio. I hope you had a great weekend. It is the 12th. Man, this is this is wild. It is the 12th of December. Is that not the wildest thing under the sun? Here we are, almost halfway through the month. And the exciting part about all of this is the fact that in just a few short days, we will not only be celebrating the Christmas, Hanukkah, and some of these other holidays, but we'll be focusing in on that new year. That's why Richard's book, Mock 2, With Your Hair on Fire, The Art of Vision and Self-Motivation, is a wonderful book. It's why I wanted to do it right here before the Christmas season as we look at this. Today, Chapter 9, Writing the Film Script of Your Life. Now, that in and of itself, this is your life. This isn't Richard's, mine, or anybody else's. Truly, this is your life. The question is, how are you going to live it from this point forward? You know, are, are, are you going to whine, mope, grope, gripe, complain, say it's not fair? Are you going to are you going to are you going to say poor me the rest of your life? Or are you going to go out there and you're going to do something about it? Think about that for a minute. What have you decided? What are you going to do? You get to make that decision. Let's look at what Richard writes. The crafting of a new vision is best done by following the model of a film script. Film scripts are written with the specific intent to create emotions in the viewer. Fear, sadness, joy, anger, glee. A great movie leads the audience to emote how the writer or director intended them to emote. Now, here comes some important stuff. Listen. This is your job here to intentionally lead yourself to experience the emotions that motivate you. Intentionally lead yourself. You know, you can take the worst horror movie under the sun, turn the volume down on it, and watch it. And you will not be near as fearful as when you're hearing the dialogue and the music. I was 16 years old, sitting in one of the oldest movie theaters in Kansas City, Missouri. There were seven of us because our good friend worked at the theater, and we got to watch Friday the 13th when it came out in theaters. Not only was there just the seven of us there, we were in one of the oldest theaters where unsolved murders had taken place. As the music came on, as the movie started going, as Freddie was just getting ready to to kill the teenagers having sex, you know, I used to tell my kids all the time, watch a horror movie and you'll see why, why having sex as teenagers is bad. Everybody dies. But here we are, and our good friend who ran the night shift comes up behind us and screams and jerks on our shoulders. Here we are, big tough guys, scared. Well, I started to say something, scared, crapless. I mean, we were freaked. Why? Because we were living that experience on the big screen. See, this is what Richard's talking about here. See, you've got to feel the emotions to your new screenplay. He writes, movies work 
movies work for this because they cover the whole gamut of clarity and detail. See, if we if we hear people go see a movie and it sucks, nobody goes to see it and it dies. If you want it to become an epic adventure, then you use everything in the screenplay, the music, the setting, the emotions. An epic adventure, which is my tagline, live in epic adventures, has highs, lows, mountains, valleys, successes, failures. But at the end, it always has a happy ending. And I don't mean like in a fairy tale. I mean there's always growth. If you go watch every epic adventure, the good guys win. It's beautiful when you think about this, and that's what Richard's talking about here. You're the good guy. This is your new film script. In the beginning, you don't want to have any sadness, fear, anger, envy, sickness. So make sure that's a small part. Make sure that you're really living up the excitement of where you're going. He says new visions are simply new film scripts. So if you want to earn more money, here comes another important part. You write a film script about you earning that specific amount. Wait a minute. First he tells us we have to intentionally lead ourselves to experience the emotions that motivate us. And now he's telling us we have to have a specific amount of money in mind. Oh, but listen to this. And since it's not the money that really motivates us anyway, you'll want to access the authentic value or your life's purpose that having more money honors. You want to ask and keep asking yourself, what's the underlying feeling that you're seeking? What's that emotion? Oh, I know there's some of these super, super duper spiritual people who says it's not about emotions. It's about a relationship with God. And I snicker because, man, I've grown up in church all my freaking life. And and it's these people that, that always have a freaking frown on their face. And they're telling me, you need to love God. And, and what they really need is they need they need Jeff Olson's new skin cream on their face because it's like they got all these frown lines, male and females. Do you really think this is how you want to live your life? Going around telling everybody else how positive and motivated they ought to be and you're sitting here in the dumps? See, this is what Richard's talking about when he says the authentic value your life's purpose. Don't pretend that you're something that you're not. Figure out what you are, write the script, and go for it. He says, for example, if you want to increase your income 100%, you need to know more than anything else how that will make you feel. And then, is it going to be good? Is it going to be fine? Is that what I want, or should I cut this out? Now listen to me. This is something Richard doesn't go deep into in this book, but he teaches this. You need to go to blissbusiness.com. Now listen. If you've got a limiting belief and you've grown up all your life, money's a sin. Rich people screwed somebody to get that money. Then you're not, you're not ever going to be able to be living your authentic values, your life purpose, until you get rid of that crap. You can write down, I want to have $100 million, and if in the back of your subconscious you think, man, then people make $100 million, screwed somebody to get that. Then you got issues. Listen to what he says here. The secret to change and reinvention, really the secret to success, 
is that the more powerful part of you is that the most powerful part of you, the most powerful being on the planet, cannot tell the difference between the real experience, the truth, and an experience that is being vividly imagined. Now think about that. When the most powerful collection of molecules in the universe can't tell the difference between what we call truth or imagined truth, then you can create the imagined truth to make it become the truth. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now there's some things that Richard mentions in here, and I want to cover these, and then I'm going to take us outside of Richard's book, validate what he says with science and the U.S. Navy SEALs. Richard says the rules of the visionary's film script are simple and uncompromising. Write this down. Number one, describe the environment. I did this a decade, almost 20 years ago. I write down what my perfect day would be like living at the beach with my wife, what my office would look like, what our bedroom would be like, what my office would would look like in my home. Did it all take place? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, I, I work out of the house instead of driving 50 miles to my office. It's wonderful. Describe exactly what's happening. This is number two. What's going to be happening? What's the experience that you're going to be feeling? How, how many lives are you going to be able to change? You want this to be in color. Don't do this in black and white unless you're like 100 years old listening to my program and you just love black and white movies. What soundtrack's going to be playing? Where is it going to be located at? What are you going to be doing? Number three, look at this. Describe the soundtrack. Is movie going to inspire you? Why do you think movies always in the Rockies and the and the epic adventures and and in sports? Why do they do movie video? Think about this for a minute. Number four, describe the dialogue. What will you be saying, and to whom will you be saying it? What are they going to say to you? What are others saying about you? See, this is where you really dig in. Number five, now direct the emotions. Write the script, write into the script how you will direct the actors to play their parts. How will you act out the emotions that you will experience in this vision? How do you want others to feel about you and about what you've accomplished? This is big. Number six, always write. This is big. Always write in first person. I, me, ours. This is huge. You have to feel it inside. Number seven, always write in the present tense. I'm having this today. 1990, we came to the beach and fell in love with Destin. We planned in 1995 to move here, and then Opal came through and trashed it all. It wasn't until the year 2000 that we actually moved here, but you want to know what we did? We lived it vividly every day. The newspapers came to us in the mail. We watched we, we would get videos of the local TV channels and watch what was going on. We recorded hours of it while other people were watching dull, depressing news. We were watching beach TV. This is what you have to do. Number eight: allow lang- allow always let la- always use positive language. Create the word picture. 
You want this to be ours. You want it to always be there. You want it to be this way. See, the, the mind responds to vivid word pictures, so always use vivid word pictures. You're not losing weight. You're not paying off debt. You're not, you're not breaking bad habits. You're becoming a hot-looking stud at 185 pounds. You're becoming a drop-dead, gorgeous, red-carpet type of lady that you want to become. You're not earning $100 million a year. You're the CEO of one of the most successful marketing and distribution organizations in the world. You're not driving a new car. In my case, I'm driving a, a 2012 King Ranch Deluxe Edition with distressed brown leather interior. Four-wheel drive, jacked up, probably going to be one of those 650s because I just like big trucks. Dig deep into this thing. See, this is some of the most pivotal time. This is where you're writing the script. Now, here's what happens. People say, well, Troy, I just don't know if I can believe all this. I know that you say it, and I know that Richard says it, but who the heck, you guys are friends. Yeah, duh. But see, there's, there's some things that you can learn about. See, I want to talk to you about the motivation map of our brain. I want to use science to validate what Richard says. So you don't just think, hey, Troy and Richard got together and they collaborated to do this so that Richard could sell more books. Okay, That's probably part of it, too, because I really want him to sell more books because I love this book. But here's the truth to the matter. When you actually look at the brains, there's six things that you need to understand when it comes to motivation. This comes from a, from a magazine that I get on a regular basis called Ideas and Discoveries. It's a phenomenal magazine. I suggest everybody get it. It doesn't have an affiliate program, so I'm not making any money by telling you that. But see, here's the question. How stress-resistant, driven, and strong-willed a person becomes is, is partially determined by their biochemical and physiology genetic profile. See, it says, number one, motivation flow. How does the motivation, your self-motivation, how does it flow? Neurologists have recently discovered that there are several areas of the brain that influence motivation, but only one nerve cord that links them all together. The medical forebrain bundle, that's not medical, it's called medial, and, and I'm not a doctor or a psychologist, so I'm going to screw these words up, so live with it. The medial forebrain bundle, which extends from the low-lying brainstem to the cerebral cortex, connects the centers, listen to this, of feeling, rewarding, and drive. Listen to number two. What are the reward centers? The brain's reward centers, the, the ventral stratum is the, you know, doctors, they have too much time on their brain to come up with all this stuff is the neurological headquarters for motivation. This is the area of which self-motivation originates in human beings. The, most frequent, the more frequently it is activated, the more driven a person will feel. Get that? Self-motivation in the reward center. You want to motivate yourself and motivate your team, reward yourself. When you have a small win, rock the house, 
and enjoy something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm not a doctor, so let's put a disclaimer in here. But if you're a diabetic and you're like losing weight and you're kicking butt and things are happening in your life, then dadgummit, get a sliver of, of, of chocolate pecan pie and eat it. And reward yourself. Now, if the doctor says you'll die if you follow Troy's advice, don't do that. But other than that, you need to do it. Let's look at number three, what this, this article says. Motivation disorder. The frontal lobes account for around 25% of our brain's total mass. They're responsible for all motor functions as well as for character, planning, and the execution of initiatives. Neurological studies have shown that damage to this part of the brain can lead to motivation disorders. Now, if you're a nut and you've gone out there and you have been playing Rocky Balboa MMA crap and you've busted your brain a million times and you got a little damage up there, then you need to kick yourself in the butt and you need to stimulate that. Here's a great way to do that. Play chess. Start to juggle. Learn how to juggle three balls and keep them in the air at one time. I'm not joking. If you stimulate your mind with some critical thinking, with, with physical stimulation, you will help to heal that actual frontal lobe, and you'll get those new, those new uh, I'm not going to go into detail, I'm going to call them brain cells for lack of a better term, and I probably got it wrong, but the nerve endings are going to start flashing again. You're going to start getting electricity flowing. All of a sudden, the, 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 the transmitters start to work again. That's huge. Number four. Success storage unit. This is part of the brain. Positive experiences are stored in the emotional memory center. And neurological, neurological, neurologists, however you say this, have found that the greater the number of successful memories stored in the prefrontal cerebral cortex, the better a person will be able to motivate himself to make new challenges. If you've been sitting there saying, I'm just a dull, negative, disillusioned crybaby, then stop it and start thinking back to all the great successful times you had. I thought of my dad this weekend. I picked up a magazine, and it was talking about this guy who had, when, when he was in the service, it's in 1964, the Mustangs, or not the Mustangs, the GTOs came out, and he wanted one so bad. But he couldn't afford it, so he got the Le Mans instead. But then he joined the service. And in 1967, he finally could afford to buy that GTO that he always wanted. And he did. And in 2012, he still has that GTO. And he gets behind the wheel. And he says every time he gets in a bad mood, he just starts thinking back to when he was a teenager. The power under his, under his hands. And, it, and then the article went on. It was in a it was in a muscle magazine. Man. I mean, it was rocking. But see, we got to we got to think back. We got to think of the positive side when we were rocking the world to make this happen. Number five, the demotivator. Fear. Richard talked about this, guys. I am validating what he wrote in his doggone book with science. Fear can be a motivating factor, but only if it occurs subconsciously, like when you're diving out of the way of an oncoming vehicle or you're looking down the barrel of a gun and you've got to figure out how to get out in front of the bullet or or maybe in small doses like when i was sitting in front of friday the 13th however 
if the fear center, which is called the amyl gadula, is activated too frequently, fear will become a demotivating factor in the brain. You cannot let fear dominate you. Now, some of you are going to believe in this myth that says faith and fear cannot live in the same body. And for you, I'd say you have never read the Old Testament because some of them prophets were kicking butt and taking names and having come-to-Jesus meetings before they even knew what come-to-Jesus meetings were, and then somebody would say something, scare the living hell out of them. And I'm not being facetious. I'm being dead serious. And then they would run into the mountains, oh, God, why did you have me do this? Didn't mean they lost their faith. Didn't mean that they still didn't believe in God. They just went through a freaked-out situation where the fear was demotivating the success. I, I love debating people. Richard knows this. Because most of the time, people don't have a clue what they believe. And this is science backing up what Richard has written in practical. I mean, he's already done this. The art of vision and self-motivation. You can go to blissbusiness.com and learn more about this. But number six, willpower. Several neurotransmitters have a decisive influence on motivation. This this was great, and I'm going to screw the, the I'm going to screw these words up. But uh, ephrine and norepinephrine are secreted in the brain of people motivated by a desire for power. Those seeking affiliation and rewarded with dopamine and achievement-focused individuals get flooded with what's called vasopressin and arginine. And I know you guys are laughing at me because I cannot pronounce these, but this backed up exactly what Richard was saying. And you say, Troy, that's all fine and dandy, but how do I know it'll work for me? Well, I don't know that it'll work for you. Eighty percent of the people that try to be a Navy SEAL it doesn't work for. They quit. So if eighty if percent of some of the best trained military personnel quit at being a Navy SEAL, then that would make me feel like that the odds are 80% of you listening to me on this telephone call are going to quit, and you're never going to apply what Richard said. And for you, I love you. We need you on our teams. You're going to be great people. You're probably going to love the product. But it's that other 20% that I'm talking to right now. It's those that say, do I give up or do I grind on? Do I, do I push through it? Do I make it happen? This is going in, in in this week's newsletter, so you guys get to hear about this first. See, there's seven character codes of motivation, and the, and the, the Navy SEALs have figured this out. It says, biological psychiatrist Dennis Charney set out to uncover the factors that determine how stress-resistant and strong-willed a person is and which specific traits are capable of raising the individual's level of motivation. I don't know why he did this. All he had to do is call Richard on the phone. Richard could have told him this. Charney conducted a study of 750 American soldiers who had been POWs in Vietnam for many years, but who had nevertheless, nonetheless, never broken down or suffered permanent trauma. The results of the study revealed seven character codes that motivate people to keep on trying and to never give up. Listen to these. This is I just love the Navy SEAL. This this is why this is why I'll, I'll study anything. Number one, flexibility. 
Motivation's number one ally is the standby mode, the routine in our brain. We can shut down this mode by taking on new tasks, collecting new experiences. Because these actions create new nerve connections and promote flexibility in the brain, which is key to motivation. Only those who continually seek out new challenges and remain curious can truly motivate themselves, which is why many soldiers in Vietnam made up their own games and skill to break their daily routine. You've got to break the daily routine. You can't sit around whining, okay? And, and for you people that don't know what whining is, you can't sit around bitching and moaning. Oh, my gosh, he called himself a Christian, and he says cuss words. I'm going to get a point across here. You've got to get off your daggum butt, and you've got to be focusing. I don't care if you put in a good movie and you start getting motivated that way, and then you, 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 you do something else, play, play cards, play solitaire, do something. Like I said, juggle some balls. Go for a walk. Do something to get yourself up. Second thing that these guys found out is called altruism. Psychiatrists, psychologists, excuse me, have found that helping others, such as cellmates in a Vietnam POW camp, is one of the best ways to motivate one's brain. Scientists refer to this as the helper's high, a sensation of happiness that is caused by hormones which always occur when a person stands by somebody else or helps others solve a problem. Such selfish, selfishness drives people to new heights of performance. This is one of my driving factors. We were taught it in the Marine Corps, and it, it moves right in. I mean, I, And it's in sports and in everything. When you work as a team, when you help somebody who cannot help you, you get excited. When you can help other people, I get excited. I love it. I love helping companies, CEOs, distributors, you name it. That's them. Number three, the moral compass. People become more motivated when, they are, when, they're doing, uh, when they're doing agrees with the basic moral principles. In other words, even if they're keeping me prisoner here, I know I was on the right side. Even if I lose, I know that it was for the right cause. Moral compass. It's not surprising that the vast majority of the 750 former POWs in the study were convinced that the United States had done the moral right thing when it intervened in Vietnam and that their own cause was just was just even if they were was just even if they were being held prisoner and may feel guilty by their captors. And that's a that's a big one. That's manipulation. We could do that in another training. Number 4, humor. Studies have shown that humor raises motivation levels. That's why Richard uses humor a lot. And he's got a dry sense of humor that I, just cracks me up. He reminds me of my dad. I've had people call me about Richard Brooke. Man, I think he was ticked off at me. And they'll tell me what Richard said, and I'll start laughing and say, he wasn't mad. He's just giving you a hard time. Oh, man, I feel better already. you got to have a sense of humor. Number five, this is another big one for me, role models. Everyone needs a role model or some point of reference. Those who accept certain physical and mental limits at, a, at, at too early of an age will weaken their own will. That's why people who seek to achieve something and need to preserve to do it or persevere to do it, like the 750 POWs, they never consider, consider average performance as an example. 
Instead, they always try to focus on the most successful achievers as role models. That's why I love calling Richard Brooke my friend. He's like a big brother to me. He kicks me in the butt when I need it, praises me, and I've told you guys this. It's what I love about him. Number six, optimism. It's been proven that people with a realistic sense of optimism, it may take years, but I'll be released, has higher levels of motivation. See, I may not make a million dollars this year, but I'm going to set my family up so they'll never have to worry about finances as long as the Lord don't come back. Even if the overall objective seems hopeless, you should tell yourself over and over again that it can nevertheless be achieved as long as it remains a realistic possibility. That's what Richard talked about today. And number seven, drum roll, having a vision. The more often a person paints positive pictures in their brain, the coming home day, the day that my my wife's going to greet me at the plane, whatever, the greater their motivation to transform this vision into reality. That's because the appearance of such positive images in the mind's eye gives the brain a preview of the exuberant feeling that will be set in when the goal is achieved. Studies have actually shown that positive increases increase the secretion of dopamine, which in turn strengthens motivation. So any of you that's sitting around here saying, it's just that humbo-mumbo, new-agey crap, no, it's not. Science and the military has proven what Richard Brooke has written in common, everyday, freaking language for all of us. Now get off your doggone butt and get out there and start rewriting your movie script so that 2012 will kick butt. Tomorrow, Chapter 10, Shooting Mach 2. You do not want to miss this. Live life like it's an epic adventure. I'll see you at the top. Be back here tomorrow morning on RealMentorsRadio.com. Bye now.